Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey everyone, welcome to Absurdity, an exploration of all things absurd in culture, religion, and society. And uh, I'm Ryan Becker, and I'm joined today by my... Um, I wanted to avoid saying fearful again. Like when I introduced you the last time, <laughs> and then I Fearless. actually blanked. So, uh, I'm joined by my co-host Tony. Tony, thanks for being here. I appreciate the lack of embellishment. I'm all yeah. about minimalism. You just are Tony. Um, I'm just, just Tony. Just that Tony. sounds like a that sounds like a like a sitcom from the '90s. Just Tony, starring. Just Tony. <laughs> Just Tony. That's it. It's yeah, just me it's sitting in a room. Just Tony. White. It's a white background room. Like it's just for an empty forty white minutes. Room. <laughs> You're not I'm actually just, doing anything. I'm just breathing, literally the whole time into the camera, nervously. Just. <sighs> you know what's crazy? Just, if I just take myself out of every one of these podcast episodes, that's exactly what absurdity is. Just it would pretty an much hour sound of like you just breathing. Me into the microphone. nervously. Because people don't realize how much editing goes into one of these. It's mostly just me going, <laughs> and then Becker just edits all that out so I sound like I know what I'm doing. Yeah, you know what's actually crazy is um, you don't actually exist, Tony. I actually yeah. record both of our parts separately, and then I just change the pitch of my own voice, and then I've made Tony. But you don't I'm actually like, exist. I'm your version of like Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, which is weird. You're just, a, you're just an alternate personality. Which is weird when you argue with yourself. Well, it, it's even weirder when you realize that I argue one full side, and then I and go then back it, and argue, and then put yours. Yeah, the other like, side. Yeah, yeah. That's even harder to do. But it's really it just impressive as a performer. Yeah. So this is a one man show. Uh, that's why. That's why Tony's name is not actually on the podcast. It's because Tony doesn't actually exist. Ah! It's literally just me. I knew that's why. Ah, thank you, me. 
Nobody would believe it. <laughs> Not even me. So, uh, Tony, you just finished a, basically a tour across America. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, you've been, where have you been in the last five days? So, it was it was almost 3,000 miles. We ended up, because we, we kept a odometer track. So, um, last week, I went down to Arizona to help move a good friend of the podcast uh, and one of our besties, uh, Steve Hall. Um, he got a job in the Wisconsin conference, and so I uh, packed him up and moved him uh, from Arizona. We drove, we took a longer route because the Midwest of America right now is apparently on fire and flooding at the same time. Um, it's just chaos. And so <laughs> we went like the up north. Well, and then he's like, he was, so Steve never been to Yellowstone and he wanted to go. So we went up, uh, drove up through Yellowstone, 16 hours basically to the edge of Yellowstone. Um, got up. I immediately fell asleep. We got into Yellowstone, um, got to hang out, hung a right, drove into Wyoming, um, another eight hours, seven hours from Yellowstone. Um, got up a little bit late that morning, drove another nine hours into South Dakota. Um, meanwhile, we saw, we got to see, um, uh, Deadwood, South Dakota, if anyone knows about Deadwood, that's where, uh, um, Wild Bill Hickok, uh, was shot. It's kind of a legend in, in, you know, the wild West. And, uh, it's a very nice little, um, fun town and and then we went to mount rushmore which i was not a huge fan of and the crazy horse memorial which i'm a huge fan of i'm a big proponent of first nation or indigenous uh amerindian um sites that i think it's it's awesome um if you have not had a chance go see crazy horse it's right next to um the mount rushmore if nothing else do research on it and then we drove literally basically um, all the way out to Wisconsin, um, right on the very edge of it. We got to Wisconsin, which is where uh, Steve's apartment was, unloaded everything uh, that night in a couple of hours, slept on the floor in sleeping bags, got up, uh, went out to the camp, say hi to our good friend Eric Chavez. Pardon me. Uh, went out to see Eric Chavez, who's the youth director in Wisconsin, and then came here. So I am exhausted. It took over 40 hours. Of driving, just driving. That's not talking, you know what I mean? Like, just yeah. in the car driving. Uh, and, like, 2,800 miles. So, I am falling asleep as we talk right now. Man. I would say, like, at this point, after that much time in a car with him, you're either married to him or you hate his guts. But then I realized that there's no difference. So yeah, There was an up and down. There were, there were a couple up and downs. <laughs> there were a few up and down moments. Uh, like Namely, all 40 not, hours. I'm not yeah, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna like put the 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 tea out there uh, for fun. It, it was fun though. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's one of those trips that you'll look back in 30 years and just be like, oh man, that you know wasn't that hilarious when dot dot dot. And yes. Then, but in the moment, you're just like, I hate everything. I regret every decision that has led me to this point right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but it was fun. It was really good. And so uh, we finally made it in. We're cool. We're going to hang out a little bit. And then he goes and starts a uh, camp meeting, um, which this will be airing right about when that starts. So that's exciting. You'll be up there too, right? Yes, but this episode actually is going to air one week before we're up there because I fly well, he out. He goes for camp pitch. 
Yeah, he goes early. So yeah, I he go, goes early. He goes early, but I fly up there um, yeah. Thursday the 13th. Like the next, yeah. 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 Um, so, so that'll be fun. 11 sermons out there. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have a good time. Uh, I, I do love the front lines, though, so I am really excited about it. Um, and honestly, I need to get back into doing something. Um, I, uh, I have this week off for bereavement leave. Um, for those who listen to this, my grandmother died last week. And we had the funeral for her on Monday, the, I don't even remember what, the 3rd of June? I don't, one of those, yeah. one of those, yeah, it was the 3rd of June. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I mean, I drove down to Orlando, went to the funeral the next day, and then drove back up to Chattanooga the next day. Uh, so it's been a long week, actually, about 15 minutes before recording this. Um, my grandma, my mom, before she, before my grandma's health declined too much, uh, my grandma had Alzheimer's. Uh, she had her record like a poem. And they recorded this at like an assisted care facility, so which is not, I don't even want to say facility. It was an assisted living home, is what it was. So like it was just a normal home that had been kind of renovated a little bit or remodeled to be able to accommodate. And like there's all these people there. So in the middle of like them trying to film this poem of my grandma reciting in Spanish, they there's like plates crashing in the background and people talking and whatever. So literally 15 minutes before this, I was taking that video and trying my darndest to edit out as much of the background noise as I possibly could have. Um, and I actually had a little bit of a moment because at the very end of it, she sings. And my grandma basically raised me because my parents worked full time and my grandma helped us pretty much every single day around the house and picked me up from school every day. I'm pretty sure in my childhood I spent more time with my grandma than my actual parents. So I had a little bit of a moment uh, before we recorded this just uh, because at the end when she starts singing, it was, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where when you're reeling from the death of a loved one, it's unexpected moments of like, uh, I was totally fine editing the file up until that moment. And it's always the unexpected moments that kind of that kind of get you. Um, so dealing with that, but I am excited to get back into the front lines of ministry, um, not necessarily as a distraction, but as a focus for my energy and to keep my mind kind of engaged in something. Um, very much looking forward to that. But today, Tony, let's talk about some uh, some real stuff. Um, even though real all of stuff. that was real, including the fact that you were me. Well, and I think, yeah, that's completely real. I think it's cool that you, you mentioned that idea that it's always the unexpected moments. You know, a lot of times when it comes to the, the grieving process, you can prepare yourself for certain things and certain days. It's when you're not braced emotionally. That's when it hits you the hardest, you know, when you're not oh, expecting yeah. it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and in, in a similar way, when you're not prepared for things in the church— I think that's when it leaves you wide open to issues, when you're not looking forward and you're only focused on what is behind. Or even, I would you're say... Welcome, uh, I would you're say welcome f- for that segue. Yeah, and I was actually, for the for the first time, I was going to not point it out but and just let it be what it was. Um, but No, we have to okay. point it out. <laughs> it's a we podcasting rule. If you smooth, have a smooth segue, you have to stop have the segue to. to acknowledge how awesome it was. Hashtag humble brag. Um, which actually, speaking of segues, um, ADHD moment. Uh, I just connected with a friend who makes loops uh, on the regular basis, so we're soon gonna have some uh, some sweet loops to do some show yes. segments. Those are coming. Um, but nice. um, uh, no, no, I think not just when you're stuck looking back. I think also if you're just stuck looking at now. Um, so, and what I mean by that is we we uh, have a habit of just looking at like we need something right now. And because of that immediate need, we end up looking back to see, 
uh, well, what worked? Let's just keep doing that. And and usually it's well-intentioned, but it's it's a reactionary way to make progress, which actually means that typically you end up regressing because you're literally saying, what worked before? We're going to keep doing what worked before. And eventually what happens is you end up in a place where what worked before doesn't always work. Um, the, the, the perfect example I can think of on this one is um, – the, the road that my apartment complex is on, Little Debbie Parkway uh, in Collegedale, Tennessee, right? Uh, everyone in it, at Southern, everyone in, in the Chattanooga kind of area knows that that road is a giant speed trap. And um, look, you can, you can get away with speeding 10 times, 20 times, 30 times on that road and no cop will be there. But that does not mean on the 31st time that the cop still won't be there. Just because you've sped on one road a million times does not mean on the million and first time you're going to get away from it. The past, um, a past pattern is not a guarantee of future success. Future success, yep. Um, yep, yep, yep. I, so it's, it, and this is, this is, essentially this is what we've done uh, in the church with our missiology would be the official term, but just for a quick definition of missiology, that's basically a, a church's expression of mission and methods. Um, that, that's kind of, that, that, that's it in a nutshell, right? So the church's why mission, and how? yep, it's why the and why how? and how it's the, why we do what we do and the, how we do what we do. Um, that, that literally is, um, a, um, kind of a major, um, a major portion of it. And so I, that's what we're going to talk about today because I think, uh, specifically within Adventism, but for those of you who are not Adventists listening to this, I would, I guess, I would encourage you to think about this within the lens of your own worldview and framework, whether that's uh, belief or non-belief um, or somewhere in between. Uh, I would, I would invite you to to think of the way you live your life, even, um, and and along these same lines, see you know where you fall or what you might resonate with. Um, because I, I think we in the Adventist church specifically, I think, I think Adventism is in a space where, or in a spot where it really does need to update (laughs) its missiology and its methods. Um, and, and let me be clear as I, as I introduce that idea, what I'm not saying is I don't think that our doctrines are false. I don't, I don't think that, you know, what we teach as a, as a denomination is false. I don't think necessarily that, um, at their core, that they're wrong. What I'm saying is we no longer live in a time where communicating those ideas and those doctrines the same way we did 150 years ago is going to be as effective today as it was then. And so I think we are in a place where we need to update the not just not the framework itself, but how we express the framework, how we navigate the framework of our beliefs. Um, I, I think there's a need to kind of revisit a lot of that, and it's not revisiting to challenge it and say, "Is this still true?" Though that's always good because you end up usually, if if it is true, then it will stay true, right? Um, but I think we are in a position of needing it just for the sake of gospel clarity, <laughs> uh, clarity in general. I think I I just think we're we're now saying yeah. we're now we're now spreading a message that. We think the world should care about, but it doesn't because it doesn't mean anything to them. Um, and I'm talking about within the specific framework of Adventism. So I'm not talking about Jesus Christ um, individually because that's the framework of Christianity. I'm talking about the specific things within Adventism, right? So um, I guess let's let's start with this. What 
let's start with the good stuff. Tony, what do you think we uh, what do you think we have down well? Like what do you, what do you think <laughs> uh, we don't need to really revisit? What do you think uh, pretty much has stood the test of time? Um. All right. As far as missiology, all right. Uh, I think our hermeneutic. Um, to put it in not fancy schmancy, not really usable terms, the way we read the Bible and the way that we believe that we should read the Bible and interpret it. Um, I really think that it's separate. It's different. I think that's the best thing we have to offer. Having having gone through all the good things that we do have to offer. I think I still think that's the best because um, the reality is that that is really what sets us apart from everyone else. Um, yeah. All the other doctrines that we have, all the other things that we do well is because of how we interpret the Bible. We wouldn't have the sanctuary because of it. We wouldn't have the three, you know, uh, uh, 2300 days. We wouldn't have the um, 1,200 um, and and sixty five days we would not or one thousand two hundred sixty days we would not have um, any of that stuff if we did not have uh, really I, I, if we didn't if we didn't have our hermeneutic the way we interpret the Bible and and the belief that anyone is as valid as in, anyone's interpretation of the of the Bible is just as valid as the next person. And we need to respect that. Like, we have our experts who go through um, and can maybe verify, like, from the Greek, like, all right, well, that wasn't intended or or whatever. But if someone finds a pattern in the Bible, that's just as valid, and we need to take it just as valid uh, from our experts, quote-unquote, in the field as from our our lay people. And I think that's super important. Um, I think we do that well. I think overall, ironically, not so much in the NAD, but I think overall— um, most of our members are involved in the church growth process, um, and that's in discipleship, and that is in evangelism. And so I think that that's really great. I love the fact that we do that. Um, we are—and I think that, again, comes from that hermeneutic, right? Like, we believe everyone is—we're we're a, a priesthood. And for those of you who don't know, like, basic our basic— interpretation of the Bible is that we let the Bible interpret itself. Um, so if there is a doctrine or a dogma or an issue, um, we go to the Bible for the answer instead of like metaphysics or guessing or, you know, how many angels dance on the head of a pin? The Bible doesn't talk about that. So we're like, well, then we don't know. Um, ironically, that's kind of not been the strength. The last few controversial decisions we've had, um, but but the reality is like that's overall, especially historically, that's what we do. Yeah. Um, so I think those are things that we do well. And again, like I said, that unlocks our our members to be able to do stuff because they don't have to. Uh, I think that a lot of times some churches um, that are more traditional denominations have to become pastor dependent. Non-denominational churches do this good too. Um, so we don't have the the market cornered on this, but. Um, say a Catholic church is reliant really on the priest for being the one who can reveal knowledge to other people. So they're kind of trapped in this, uh, uh, growth loop, uh, yeah. that really only one person can, can share that knowledge. Um, what else do we do? Well, I mean, we do a lot of things. Well, I think, uh, 
financial sharing. I think we do really, really well. Um, I think we need to adjust it, obviously, like we talked about. But I think that that's something yeah. that we do as a, as a general concept really well. The details get a little fussy, but as a general concept, I think we do that well um, because most churches, they're not helping um, their global brethren. Um, you might have a sister church that you you know give a certain percentage to, but every Adventist church gives to churches who do not have, and that's the, the great part about tithe. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that we do well. I, I think all of that can do, can use adjusting. Um, as a whole, I'd say those are the three things that I think just, we can just not touch as far as those are the things that we really do well. Yeah. Um, Our interpretation of the Bible, um, our, and then how we read it, how we interpret it and, and, um, our involvement as far as getting all our members involved and, and being able to, and, um, our, our financial wealth sharing or wealth distribution system. I think those three are, are quite good. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I think uh, d- definitely on the hermeneutic thing. And while you were talking, I was thinking like, I wonder, I wonder how consistently or how consistent our hermeneutic, uh, how brand new it was. Like if it's something we really introduced or if it's something that we kind of adopted, I haven't really looked at the history behind our hermeneutic, but um, I do think like it's super valid and I think it does, it does unlock a lot of doors. I think it, I think it opens a lot of doors for growth and members. So um, yeah, hundred percent, I would agree with you on a lot of that, but um, I think, and, and I, I, I honestly, I was thinking like, I don't really know that I have anything to add. Um, the one that I thought about adding was communion. Um, and kind of our, our structure of belief around that. But there's actually something in the way that we talk about communion that I have a major issue with. So, like, I don't think that our missiology as far as the what of communion, right? So the foot washing, as far as the foot washing being included in the act of communion, I think that's super valid, and I think that's great, and I think that's culturally relevant. I think that that speaks to gospel clarity. But I, um, yeah, I, I, I do have another issue with it, which is the... Uh, the whole portion of it that we teach, like you really need to make yourself right before God before you do this. Um, and that was kind of, it turns, it turns communion less into a remembrance act of someone's sacrifice for you. And it turns it into self-focus. It turns it into, well, what are the things that you end up just feeling bad about yourself? And it's, it's, yeah, it's just a guilt trip basically. And so I, I or, or not participating. Yeah. Or just not participating. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm, oh, I don't feel right before God. Well, you're not the one who makes you right before God. So I really don't, it's just, yeah. So I have issues with that, but I will say, and I, and these are kind of my big ones. Uh, I think there are major things that we need to update. Um, and the three of them, um, <laughs> uh, actually the four of them, the four of them are kind of the big soapboxes I've been on lately. Um, the first one is our rhetoric on the Sabbath. Uh, and this is actually going to be, I think, the these are the ones that are mine. So, Tony, I'm going to ask you for the ones that are yours right after this, but unless you Yay. tend to overlap with mine. But um, I can just sit, I disagree with you completely, and I want to keep my job. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no. Um, I think our rhetoric on the Sabbath needs to change. Um, and here's what I mean. And this this is actually going to be a perfect point or a perfect demonstration of what I'm saying when I say that it's not that I disagree with the beliefs. I just disagree with the way we talk about them currently. So the way that we frame the Sabbath in late 1800s and, and early 19, you know, turn of the century um, was basically that, oh, the church has been getting this wrong for all of history and the Sabbath was never really changed to Sunday. And we need to return to the way that God 
um, that God initially intended for the Sabbath to be celebrated and kept, which was on the seventh day. And so we, that's, that's, that was traditionally the message of the Sabbath. And it was given at a time when most people, uh, especially at least within America, most people relied on the Bible as a source of authority and knowledge, right? Uh, a lot more people did. But we now live in a time where that's no longer the case, and even those that do claim to follow the Bible uh, don't always see it as an, as the most authoritative source in their life for for that kind of knowledge, right? So they 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 wrestle with with it a little bit more and disagree with it a little bit more. So we have this we we have this issue of like we could bang on that drum of this is not the way that God intended yeah. it all along, all we want. No one's going to listen because they don't care, like. They don't value that. They don't value whatever God intended at the start because they don't even believe in God. Um, or they don't know if they believe in God. They don't accept the same—they don't start from the same presuppositions. And so I think there's a need Your to— values up- are different. Yeah, everything yeah. about it is different. And so I think we need to update it and frame the Sabbath as what it is, which is rest. So I'm not saying that we suddenly deny that the that the the truth of the Sabbath is what it is. I'm saying— Let's frame it in a with with a cultural let's frame it in a cultural context that is so overworked and so overstimulated and so overly busy that um you know let's let's put let's put it in a framework of rest. Let's let's describe it as a break from the world. Let's actually um let's actually talk about this in a way that makes sense for the culture that we're in. So that would be number 1. Like mental uh, health, you know. Yep. That they value mental health, and so that's mental a great and way emotional to do. health. Yep. Uh, number two, I think uh, our rhetoric on investigative judgment. I think um, I won't even. I don't even think rhetoric is the right word there. I would just say we need to clarify it, big time, um, because I think the words investigative judgment tend to have a negative connotation to them, and I don't even know if renaming it would be the thing we should do. But it is one that I think is. I think we need to clarify that one a bit more because it's, the picture that everyone has is that God is going through. Um, going through your life action by action, moment by moment, and Jesus is sitting there going like, oh, did they sin? Oh, well, they're not going to be in heaven. Ha, 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 ha. Got one, found one. Uh, pulled out, Jesus pulled out the ma- holy magnifying glass and found that one thing you were hiding from him. But in reality, what it is is Jesus basically going like, oh, did this person accept me? Cool, they're in. Like, that's literally what he's doing. Um, and... um. I'm going to save the best for last one here. I think our, our the way we talk about Catholicism needs to change. Um, mm. I think a, in, in traditional Adventist contexts, we tend to engage in Catholic bashing, and I'm not a fan of it. I'm not here for it. It's, it, it's, it ain't it, fam. Um, yeah. And then lastly, and this is the big one, so Tony, you ready for this? I think we need to... I, I, I was going to say we need to update, and after some re- recent conversations, I'm just going to say we need to create or establish... Uh, a theology of sex, um, not marriage, and not sex and marriage. I mean, straight up, a theology of sex, sexual activity, relationships, dating, all of that, like all of it. You have to remove me now from this podcast. Good. I can no longer be a part. Um, here's and and here's my point. Um, this is gonna this is gonna be really hard, and the way that I talk about this is difficult right now because I don't have anything to offer here, um, like I did for the Sabbath. But basically, we are basing our beliefs on sex and premarital relations off of a book where people were getting married at like 13 and 14, meaning that when they were hitting puberty and when they were having the hormones fire in crazy directions, they never really had to suppress them for, 
you know, 10, 15, 20 years before they actually got married. Now, obviously, there were some cases where, sure, that's what had to happen because someone didn't get married at that point. But um, by and large, it, I mean, even Mary, what, what was, how old was Mary when she was pregnant with Jesus? I think, I think it's, I mean, the source, 15? the sources differ, but they say, yeah, anywhere from 14 to 17. Yeah. That's what I thought. Right. So, okay. That's, that's my point. Like, um, people were getting married younger and, and, um, so basically what we say is, look, they waited till they got married. You need to wait till you get married now in 2019. Well, uh, millennials, uh, our generation has killed early marriages basically. And people are now getting married later and later. I mean, you and I are both in our upper twenties now and we're not married. And we know countless people in their thirties who are not married. And I'm not saying not, not, like, this is my problem when I talk about this, right? My problem is that I don't have anything to offer here. And it sounds like I'm just saying, okay, cool. So either I'm saying, let everyone just have sex whenever they want or reinstate child marriage. And I'm not saying either of those things. Um, I don't know what the solution is here. What I am saying is the way that we've talked about abstinence and sex has resulted in things like this. A woman does everything right, saves, quote, quote unquote, saves herself uh, until marriage. She gets married and on her wedding night or the first night where her and her husband actually get to have intercourse and, and they engage in that, the woman is filled with such guilt and shame afterwards because she felt like she lost her virginity. She felt like she lost her purity or the thing that made her valuable because that's how the church presented it to her. And so there are women in marriages who are having to go through years of counseling just to get over the grief, the shame, the guilt that they feel um, that's been attached to years of purity culture being crammed down their throat. And like there's if, if that's the kind of shame that we're instilling in people by our theology of sex, right, for people who are doing it right, then something has to change, and there's something broken in the way we're communicating that. I don't know what the solution is. Um, like, I, I genuinely don't. I know what it is in a secular way, which is just give everyone contraception and, like, rates for everything terrible goes way down. But, I, I like, I don't know what that is within a religious or biblical framework, and I don't think we have a biblical framework for it because um, there's, there's so many different examples of sex, whether improper or proper, or celebrated or non-celebrated in Scripture. And it's kind of all over the map. And I really wish we would put like a committee together or a group together and actually like really hammer this out. The problem is whoever advocates for it first is going to get labeled like on the floor at a general session or at annual council. They're going to just get labeled a pervert for talking about sex in public. You know what I mean? Like it's going to take someone basically sacrificing their career to actually create a theology on, or, you know, some sort of belief system on sex is what it seems like. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't think necessarily it has to be that extreme. I mean, I, th I just think it's something that older generations don't value because they just assume that, oh, the bad kids, that's the bad kids. Instead of saying, well, here's, I, I think, I think it's a victim to what you were saying, the, the, or what I brought up and then you, you know, the focus on the now and not focus on the future. Like, We've been so focused on issues in the now that we haven't looked forward and said, oh, this is eventually going to become a problem. Because um, I think, and I'm pretty sure in the church manual, like it has something there, but it's like it needs to be updated. It needs to, we need, we need to really create a, an established, like, not pamphlet per se, but a report and just say, hey, look, in the, in the coming modern world, this is the issue. I mean, contraceptives are at the point in the world right now where you can, if you don't want to have a baby, not have a baby beyond, you know, and I'm not talking about abortion. I'm talking just contraceptive. Um, and so we need to talk about that. We need to talk about what, what we do and, and 
adjust to it because I think you're right. Um, we need to come up with a better way. We need to come up with a better way of framing um, what sex is because now the whole, well, you're going to have a baby kind of thing is, is beyond that. And again, talking about your earlier thing um, with the values and judgments, that's the same reason for the Sabbath. Kids today don't value purity. The majority, you know? Yeah. Um, yes, it's a problem with the, the, the shame culture, and that's a big one. I'm not saying that that's not valid, but I'm saying majority of the kids out there, uh, because of access to pornography and, and different things, I mean, they don't really value staying a virgin anymore. That's not a big deal for them. Well, I, would, I, I, so, I think that's kind of always been the case, though. I think the difference is... I don't think it's necessarily that they don't value purity so much as they don't value the voice of those. Well, and, and there's there's ways around it. And anyway, so I, 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 I'm with you on that. I think we just need to we need to frame it within because I think the values are still the same and the reasons are still valid. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think God keeps us from doing anything that's fun. I think he says there are some there's some big. If you don't do it within this right context, uh sharing the gospel, health message, education, sex. If you don't do it in the right context, it can be very dangerous. Um, and so I think that's... Yeah. You are, I mean, you you are can, free, you, but you are most yeah, yeah. free within but, the boundaries that God the boundaries. has Yeah, like set this is the up. best yeah. way to do it. Um, and I just always go back to, you can't have an STD from sleeping with only one person. Like, that is literally, that is literally a scientific fact. Like, you cannot get a sexually transmitted disease um, if you only sleep with one person and don't unless share the one needles. person Unless the one person has an STD. But that's what I'm saying. If both of you have it, that's what I'm saying. Oh, like yeah. Both, don't, you're being so annoying. No, like if both of you do save it, like I'm not, there, yeah, there's so you're still, saying, a, yeah, if it's mutual, there's still yeah. a pragmatic value to saving yourself beyond the obvious moral and ethical yeah. implications, which I think are valid as well. I'm just saying... Just because we value it doesn't mean they value it. Yeah. And we have to make and, them open their eyes to it. Well, and I think there's a need to also look at that, look at, like, for the for the reasons we do give for saving yourself for marriage, right, which is already a terrible way to frame that. Um, what I found when I talked with a lot of pastors about this is basically getting a lot of responses of, like, well, it's the best way to have a healthy and happy marriage, or it's the only, you know, getting control of your passions in your teens is is the only way to have the full, you know, have the fullest and healthiest marriage. And, you know, if you've just had sex with so many people, then all those, all that just informs your marriage and makes it worse, right? And in doing so and in teaching these things, A, what we're teaching people is, like, um, we're teaching them that sex equals a happy marriage, and that's not the case. Um, that, that is not an equivalent. The other thing we're doing is if someone yeah, is sitting yeah. in your congregation or someone's reading your comments online, right, um, then – and that person is a person who was raped or abused or assaulted or someone who literally just made decisions that they regret, right, or whatever. Then what you've essentially told them is, well, you missed your chance, um, and now your marriage will never be – Whenever you get married and find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, well, guess what? Uh, you've robbed yourself, and you will never be as happy as someone else who did save themselves. Um, and it's like, okay, cool. If I've heard that, then why even try? You know what I mean? Like, at that point, I've already failed. Why even try at this point? So I exactly like, we need to look at the ways we currently talk about it and find where the problems are and, and, and change it. We need to change the rhetoric. We need to change the framework that we talk about this in because it— 
honestly, our our rhetoric on most of these things is more damaging than anything else. Our rhetoric or the lack of clarification on the investigative judgment has led people to um, basically a works-oriented faith. Our rhetoric on the Sabbath has led people to spiritual arrogance. Um, the Our theology of sex has led people to shame. And our rhetoric on Catholicism has led us to alienate ourselves and to bash people who have no part in any of um, what that doctrine is all about, or, or not doctrine about Catholicism, well, and, and, but our teachings are about. Yeah. And and we also, while we're busy pointing out the you know speck in our brother's eye, we yep. avoid the plank in our own. So yeah. I think that's also the danger. Yeah. Um, those are the big ones. I also think ordination um, falls under that, all these others, but those are my big four right now. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. What are mine? Um, <laughs> what What do you want to get fired over, Tony? Yeah, right. No, for sure. I think we need to do a better job with discipleship. Far and away. I would agree um, with that. That's the biggest one for me. We We put such a heavy emphasis on number growth, and I won't use the big E word for that, um, because it's not evangelism, just so everyone is aware, um, your conference evangelist is one part. An evangelistic series is one part. Yep. Of ev- any time you share the gospel with someone, that's evangelism. That's what people don't understand. And so when we restrict it to a speaker and a set of meetings and a bunch of really crappy powerpoints, um, I think what we do is we we diminish what is a powerful, powerful tool. So. Um, when we, when we focus only on numbers growth, what we end up doing is, um, we don't look at the health of our members and we don't look at the health of the congregation as a whole. And so, um, I think we need to look at our retention numbers, um, which are not great, uh, overseas and in the NAD. And -hmm. I think we need to... We need to do a better job of making sure our members are whole um, and doing an intentional job of updating our ministries. So men's ministries, women's ministries, you know, religious liberty, uh, all these types of things. We need to do a better job updating, it. Um, you know, especially in, and because here's the reality. Um, we're, we've lost one generation. Our generation is gone. You could argue Gen X is also a lot of I was going to say, I gone. feel like Gen X is the and, one that and we And we're really going to lose Gen Z, you know, Gen Z, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. We're going to lose them. We're starting to already. Um, you know, our gen- the millennials are out. For those of you who are like, millennials, I want to... No, millennials are out. We've all, You've either lost us or we're past the, the prime age to, quote-unquote, keep us. Um, so anybody who's staying is... Let them stay still. Anyone who has left, let them leave still. Kind of a kind of a deal as far as who we need to look at and and not not to, you know, take it away, but I'm saying like, all right, if you wanna if you wanna look to the future, that's the that's the the that's a generation that we can still keep the majority of. Um still still minister to all previous generations. That's important, but uh we need to update to keep that in mind because it's like, all right, we're maybe with discipleship, we're maybe reaching our previous generations, but we're not reaching the future, and and we're not ready for the future. So I think one of the big ways to get that in, which would, I guess, fall into discipleship, is intentional mentoring. And we kind of talked about that last week. Um, 
or whenever this airs, but the yeah, episode it was last week. 90, it was last week. Yeah, episode was ninety. Um, you know, we talked about that idea of mentoring, and that's a, that's actually been a really big deal for me um, in the last uh, uh, few months. Um, I've started reading books on mentoring specifically to try to get a better hold of it myself. You know, I don't know a single church that I've been at that has an intentional mentoring, and I've asked a lot of people, and a lot of people don't know of an intentional mentoring. Uh, ministry at their churches. So I think it's something that we really, really, really need to work on because one of the reasons why we're losing the next generation is because we have not done a good job modeling and teaching them how to model. Um, you know, vocational discipleship is is out. Teaching people how to be Christians in their jobs, you know, vocational discipleship, I mean, it's gone. We don't do that anymore, and we need to be intentional about it. It used to happen it used to happen organically, and we haven't been intentional. I would for say that reason. I, uh-huh. I I would say that vocational discipleship um, really has now become more about your Christianity should be used to take a stand for Christianity rather than to actually love people. So, like the only time that, that uh, yeah. vocational discipleship really encourages you to be a Christian, quote unquote, is when Christianity is being when you perceive that Christianity is uh, is under attack in your workplace. Yeah, standing up for, I won't work on the Sabbath, which is, is great. But at the same time, it's like, all right, but how do you subtly share the gospel with your coworkers? Yeah. How do you live a life that people will look at and say, man, I really want what you have? Yeah. Um, and so we say subtly, it's not like we're brainwashing them. It's just like we're sharing no, something that we think is important in a way, in a way yeah. that's respectful. Well, I mean, how many people, you know, God calls all of us to the five, you know, main main ministries. Um you know, the, the five main avenues of, yeah. you know, using your spiritual gifts, which is, you know, evangelism and, and pastoral, um, teaching, uh, apostleship and, 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 you know, prophetic. And all of us have, you know, that avenue of sharing and evangelism just naturally shares. So you have some people who just can naturally walk into their, into their work building and just like, I don't care who knows, I'm going to share Jesus with you. But a lot of people don't know how to do it. And so they're like, well, if this screws up, I've just ruined my work environment. And as much as I love my church, they only have two days a week. You know what I mean? Because that's another one I'm going to get to in a second. But, you know, we only have two days a week that I'm around them. I have to go to my work and have to spend the majority of my week around the people that I work with. Yep. And so learning how to actually do that in a way that is not uh, pushy, that is not obnoxious, I think that's important. Uh, the next one, which I kind of just alluded to, is we need to do a better job. Um, and I just lost it. Oh, my goodness. I am so tired. I, it's okay. Um, I'm was, amazed. Um, I'm amazed you've made it to 40 minutes with one. No, with, yeah, like, no. Keeping your train and there it was. That was it. That was the 40. No, it was. Um, I was just talking about it. It was. Uh, um, Oh, uh, uh, okay. So, uh, we need to update how we spend our weeks, which is to say, um, we need to have more things during the week. Now, obviously that's going to require more people get involved, but I think if we have better, I'm going to say a word that, that we've not done a good job at, which is training. Um, and I don't mean informationally. I mean, more than just that, but we need to do a better job training our people, giving them 
that little push to be able to say, oh, you can do ministry. I had a great conversation uh, this last week when I was in Arizona with a family of mine, good friends. um, Sorry, not a family of mine, a family that I am good friends with. And they were talking about, you know, kind of getting ministry done at their church and how there kind of is nothing. And I said, okay, well, are you aware that you, I, I personally believe every Adventist member of the church can run a small group and should run a small group um, of some sort. And and then I explained and I said, I can tell you in six steps and in one hour how to do it. And and then I go, would that make it easier if I could do that and whatever? And so I wasn't planning on doing it. And I ended up actually kind of proving to you know, the wife in particular of this, of this family, like, no, you can run a small group. And she has an incredible, um, she has an incredible ministry that I believe she can do. Um, and I think she has a heart for ministry. And so that's kind of why I was like, all right, I'm going to share this with you. But the reality is like, even at a church where she was talking that has issues um, with her church and all of this, you can have stuff during the week. You can have a basketball night. You can have, and that's what I was sharing with her, you know, they live near a school, so they have a gym. So it's like open it up on Sunday nights and just invite people from the area. Um, you know, uh, have a Tuesday night cooking ministry, have a Wednesday night thing. We have so many times during the week where we need to get more involved because the reality is if we bring someone in who spends seven days of the week outside of, and not Christian culture per se, but a, a Christ-focused and Christ-centered environment and a church family, um, and then we say, okay, now you have to give all of that up um, and replace it mm-hmm. with Christianity. But we're only going to give you two nights a week that can do that, Wednesday and – or two days, shall we say, Wednesday night and and Saturday. Everything else, you have to figure that out on your own. Yeah. Well, that's not really helpful, is it? Yeah. Where are they most likely going to go? Yeah. They're going to go I think, back to their friends. I think people overthink how hard it is, too, because they think, like, oh, well, what if someone gets hurt? What if this happens? What if that happens? Like, one of the things I found out is that basically it, it, it depends on conference. But, like, you can literally, if you're a church member, you can just email your conference ministerial department and find this out very easily. Um, but one of the things I had asked um, was what would it take for us to do a block party kind of on our on our church's property and have a bunch of guests, like, with you know, big inflatables and stuff like that, right? And basically what we found out as far as insurance coverage was concerned was anything that was in official board minutes, like church board minutes, was going to be covered by insurance. If the church had voted to approve it, basically, if the church leadership had voted to approve it, it could be covered by insurance. Um, We did have to have people sign waivers, but like that was it. Waivers are a dime a dozen to find. They're so easy. Like, if you think like, oh, my church isn't doing it or they, they don't want to or, you know, they don't know. They're just worried about these concerns. You can easily call up your conference and just be like, hey, I have a question. Um, I, I, I really want to bring this proposal to my church. And I just wanted to know um, what does, you know, can you help me out figuring out how insurance coverage works if we wanted to open up our, our church's gymnasium during the, for a community night yeah. or things Ask like that? Ask not what your church board can do for you. <laughs> but what you can do for your church board. And, um, I, and I think that that's yeah. a that's that's a big one is is get involved. Um and as leaders, so pastors, elders, deacons, um men and women, get in there and help your people learn how to do it. And 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 don't be afraid to fail. I think that's another big one. People are afraid of failure. No, failure means and I hate to use Thomas Edison because he's a horrible example of this, but um, you know, 
you found a thousand ways not to run a men's mm-hmm. ministry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like keep yeah. trying until, until you get it right. Um, you know, learn from it each time. Uh, but, to, but, but keep trying. And honestly, like I say, a small group is very, very easy to do. There's very specific steps, um, lots of different resources to be able to do it. But I think a lot of people are just scared and they have not been given the space to be able to yeah. succeed. At this point, um, you can you can YouTube how to do most church ministries the same way you YouTube how to fix something on your car, or how to cook a you know how to cook a dish. Like that's yeah. how many how to things are out there in this yeah, arena. No, it's it's for real, and so I think that's a huge, 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 huge thing. Um, yeah, I think those are kind of the big three for me. Outside of I think I think you you had some valid points. I think if we update those, I think we're good. I mean, we could always update. Don't get me wrong. I think our liturgy can be updated. Um, our style of worships can be updated. Our focus. I, I will say that. All right. This is this is this is one. I'll say it. number four. We need to update our the the onus of our attention, or shall we say, the focal point of our attention in the worship service, which is it should not only be about already members. Oh yeah, it should um, be about yes. I agree, hundred percent. That's a that's a big one. A big, you know, it's about worshiping God, and we talked about this with with you know with uh, Kanye's uh, you know Sunday service and different things. Yeah, worship is always about God, but it's also about inviting outsiders in. A part, don't completely neglect your people. Um, so the church family has a part of it, but it should not be only focused on them. So it doesn't become a club, and and I think that's what we've done, unfortunately. Is we've created a neat little club, yeah, um, with special lingo and songs that no one's sung in three hundred years, um, outside of this particular arena, uh, things like that. And we just yeah. and do the, and then we're like, well, if you don't like this, then you're not holy enough. And we say it from annual council, and we say it from different places where, oh well, this is the only way that you can do that. Well. That's a not biblical. B, it's it's it keeps the focus only on us, and it's very self serving, and it's it doesn't promote discipleship, and it doesn't promote growth. So yeah. I think that's one that I will say. Like I said, liturgy, which if if you know, don't be scared by that word. How we organize that, I think, can be updated as well. Or evangelism absolutely can be updated. I think some places are doing it really well. We can learn from them around the world. Um, our intermissional or interdenominational mission and and discourse, I think, can be updated. Um, I mean, I think we yeah, do add it pretty yeah. well, but, but there's, there's there's a lot of things. So but much. those four in particular, to me, that I think that's what we need to get like tomorrow. If yeah, we don't I, I do think, it tomorrow, I think there may not be I, a church the day after. Yeah, I think what you and I are saying is not that other things aren't important. What we're just saying is these are the four that come to our minds right now, or that we would prioritize right now. I mean, um, it's like it's it's like what's going to get us to the next stop yeah. where we can focus I think, on those things. I think and these are fixing, the things that. Yeah, I think fixing discipleship, for example, would actually help us take care of the ordination problem. Like, I think there's, I think other problems fall under the umbrellas of uh, of some of the things that we've talked about here already, and these are just kind of the ones that are on our hearts. That's kind of, I think that's how I feel about it, anyways. But I don't think we're I don't think we're dismissing anything. I mean, even in the example that you just brought up, I think um, uh, I, I was thinking about this as you were talking about um, our worshiping focused on God. 
and I and and I was picturing like what would happen if uh and being focused not just focused on God but focused on those outside of our gates right uh, I I think of what would happen if a homeless man was sitting in like the breezeway outside or the you know the portico outside of your church doors right or just sitting outside your church doors and as everyone went into church he was just sitting there um, the number of church members that would walk by on their way to worship God without saying anything, without really doing anything. In fact, most of them would probably just complain to the pastor that there's a homeless guy outside and the pastor should really take care of that and, and you know, get and rid I, of him. I mean, how uh, many churches have you met where the greeters are not picked well? And so they literally stay inside, you know, 30 steps yeah. inside the church and they won't go outside and they won't even see someone like that, you know? Yeah. And like, that's the whole, you know, if, if pure and undefiled religion is this, is, is, is serving the, the lesser, Right, and I don't think a homeless man is lesser. But when I say lesser in this privilege, I, in in this context, I'm talking like lesser in, or more in need in or in help. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's what I mean by lesser. Not a lesser human being at all. Right? Um, uh, then it's ironic that we would go in to worship God when the true act of worship would be to serve those that God loves. And at best, what we would might do is say, "Hey, you should come in and worship with us." instead of, or like, you're welcome to participate, and you know what, we'll help you if you join the service, or if you join our church. Um, it, it, it's like, that just, it just rubs me the wrong way, and and I know I'm not the only one that, when I bring up that example, uh, that can think of any number of churches where that would be the case, where we would ignore someone plainly in need, and, and accessible, right, and uh, in favor of going in and, and keeping the way we do things the way we do things, and in doing so, we would miss the greatest opportunity to worship God while we are on our way to worship God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's huge. Um, my brother, I don't know if he's already told this story on the podcast, but he, he one time he went to a very well-attended, shall we say, uh, gathering. Um, it's a fairly f- famous one. It's, it's um, Is it Coachella? Adventists. Oh. No. Yeah, Coachella? Adventists and... Uh, and what, something that bothered him is people were passing a homeless man to get to this well-attended uh, gathering. And it bothered him that these people would not, you know, no one was stopping. No one was asking if he wanted to come in. No one was helping him with food. And, and you know, Jesus Jesus has said, yeah, you'll always have the poor. But it's like, mm, so you know, there's something disconcerting about that. And so, yeah, I, I think that's something we can help. But like I said, I, I, there's you can always tweak and adjust. It's a mentality. I will say this on top of everything else. Missional changing our missiology is about a mindset. A mindset of we have already attained perfection and we do not need to grow. Or how can we do this better? Because life is changing. Um, you know, Bob Dylan said it in the sixties, the times they are a changing. Yep. And that was 50, almost 70 years ago. <laughs> um, sorry, 60, almost 70 years ago. And that's just the reality is like, you know, the fact that we can't recognize that in our church and think, and the mentality is, oh, we've attained, per- this is exactly how we're supposed to do church and there's no way this can get better. Previous generations, had they thought that we would not have church the way it is now. And so yep. it's about the mentality of how can we improve? How can we move forward? Um, how can we How can we adjust to the times while still keeping certain things 
relevant. And again, we're talking about missiology, not dogma, not dogma, not doctrine. We're not talking Correct. about changing the core of these things we have brought up. We're talking about updating those things so that the way that they are brought to the table yep. is relevant and well, um, it's it's innovation, right? It's it's kind of like making a new cell phone or um, you know, even I, the first th- thing I thought of was like a washer and dryer. The purpose and what a washer yeah, exactly. and dryer That's does has, n- has not changed. But the way they it's work, the, the technology in them, everything else about them has improved for efficiency, uh, for space, for uh, water usage, for electricity Energy usage, usage, for yeah. all mm-hmm. of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like a fridge, the same thing. Like we have found better I, I ways to use in- the things we've always used. I remember my lifetime getting grass stains on your jeans. It was game over. Was, it was done. Those jeans were over. Those were now your play jeans. Yep. Now I can get grass stains, red stains, you know, tomato I love you said sauce. Red stains, just <laughs> instead like, of blood stains. <laughs> I was I meant tomato sauce, but you know I can I can I can just dirt, oil, grease, whatever, and I stick those in to a, a good washer with some good detergent, and I mean they're brand new coming out the other yep. side. And it, even in my lifetime, I'm like, wow. But again, it's that mentality. It's a mentality of how can I improve this versus we have already attained. How can we how can we keep the status quo? That's yeah. the difference. We're so afraid of I don't I don't even losing know how to, something that watering we, that down. We're, yeah, I guess. that we're yeah, watering down. I think that's we're so afraid of compromise. Um that we don't like because we're afraid of what we'll lose if we compromise that we're that we're now losing because we're not actually making equ- any compromises and and we equate compromise with change those are two different things um i would agree with compromise, that compromise compromise and and shall we say not not evolution per se cuz people don't like that word but compromise and um what is it when what what's the adventist evolution what is that called what word do we use it's, no, it's what? like an A word. When we talk about uh, evolution, Amalgamation? We go, no, it's it's. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm talking my brain's. It's uh, oh, it's not adjustment, but something like that, where it's like oh, they're the you know the birds. They didn't evolve into something else. They adapted or adapted. adapted. Yeah, a uh, uh, compromise and adaptation are two different things, and I think that's the you know compromise is I will do something that goes against my great like if birds. Losing the ability to fly is compromise, but changing the colors of their wings is adaptation. And I think that's the big thing is we're not saying, okay, we can't fly anymore, right? Like throw away the Sabbath or just do whatever you want with sex. What we're saying is we need to change how we – to be able to better either stand out from the environment or blend in the environment or whatever it takes to get us to – better reason people were at we need to adapt and adaptation and compromise you know change and compromise are two different things and we need to accept that fact and be ready for it yeah i think i and i think this falls into two camps right i i actually think uh, this is both about cultural relevance and gospel clarity um i think it's about helping people understand the gospel understand who jesus is in a world um in a world that's in the 21st century right it's not that Jesus means or is someone different now, but it's a matter of communicating who he is within this framework. And I think Jesus the other would side not of, wear the yeah yeah Jesus would not wear the same clothes or tell the same stories if he came today. No. Um, and I think people really think he would. 
Family Guy is actually a show that's helped me kind of understand that a little bit differently, though, unfortunately, they go too far in like the sacrilegious side of things when they bring, but they've had a lot of episodes where Jesus shows up, right? Um, where, where, where Jesus is like with the Griffin family. And while I don't necessarily endorse everything that they have Jesus do in that show, what I'm saying is just the aesthetic that he was walking around in normal clothes. <laughs> like, that was something that I was like, you know what? Yeah, they actually have a better idea of what Jesus would, I guess, look like. Granted, they made him white Jesus, but, you know, what, how Jesus would dress or appear, so to speak, um, in the 21st century than we do. Um, and we're the guys that, you know, we're the people that follow him. And so they, you know, they, they did a better job of contextualizing and making Jesus make sense in, in the two thousands than we do. And that's saying something that is saying something powerful, I think. So I do think this is definitely about cultural relevance and gospel clarity. And I think both are mission critical. Um, absolutely. And I think honestly, like meme culture in general is the thing that's kind of taught me the solution to all of this stuff is one person doing it in a way that's infectious, basically, right? The way that memes spread is, you know, you found out, you you saw this video from a friend or you saw this picture from a friend and then you sent it to someone else and then they, they thought it was funny, they sent it to someone else, right? That's how this happens. This happens at the individual level where, you know what, if you want a better rhetoric on the Sabbath or better rhetoric on investigative judgment or you want a, a new way to look at discipleship or you want your church to be used seven days a week, then just start doing it and advocating for it in your life and let the fruit of that labor speak for itself, um, and I say that as someone who's currently in the middle of a Kickstarter for $12,000 on a project that we could have easily just gone to the church and said, hey, we want someone to do this. But instead, we just decided to do it. And it's picking up steam on its own as a result. Like, that's that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, just start doing the things and talking about the things that that you think are important and talk about them the way that you want other people to talk about them. Help people understand where you're coming from and what you're doing. Like that's that's where I'm at, and I, I mean, what better way to do that? I guess than a podcast at the moment. But, um, like that's yeah, that. Yeah. I think that's where I land. I don't know, Tony. Final thoughts from you on this one? This is a bunch of hooey. I agree. I agree. Um, no, I mean, I think we kind of said it. I, I, I I'm with you're you right. on that. Um, I'm perfect. It takes. I do. You know, I mean, it's been a big part of our our message here on on um, absurdity was just just be the change. You know, go be the change yeah. you want to see. I think at the same time, um, do what I'm doing, which is go get a seven dollar book on mentoring, learn about it, and start doing it. Yeah, you know, find two people. I, the barista from Starbucks, the person who bags your groceries, whatever. Talk to the people that are in your sphere of influence and either start mentoring them or work on discipleship or, you know, whatever it is that you see in your church that you need to improve, that you, that you believe can be improved upon. And and look for that mentality. Yeah. Begin thinking, how can we improve? Even if it's small practical things, it doesn't have to be anything huge or drastic stuff. right off the bat. Yeah. How can we make our church more presentable and more less intimidating? Yep. To someone just coming? just make the bed in the morning. <laughs> right? Like just so, make the bed. Yeah. At least you make um, the bed. So yeah. I agree. Um so yeah, I think that wraps it up. Also, Tony, I think that you should be uh this tired more often and you should start a podcast for to help people fall asleep. 
because uh, your voice <laughs> when you're this tired drops like three octaves and it's very soothing and I'm not and, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm starting to fall asleep. So. <laughs> um, well, then I guess it's a good time to wrap up. But, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to Absurdity. Uh, you can find all of our contact info in the show notes and episode description. So if you have any questions, feedback for the show, please reach out to us. Um, and if you haven't, gone over, go over to www.thescratchnews.com and go check, uh, check out the Kickstarter that I'm working on. Um, we actually just released a uh, sample, uh, a piece of the history in the Adventist church on women's ordination that goes over uh, how the IRS actually impacted our decision on women's ordination. So if you're curious about that, and that sounds completely new to you, go check that out as well. But thank you guys so much for your support. We'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, Go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.